beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. This Psalm chapter 40, as David begins that the Lord delivered him out of the miry clay and out of a horrible pit. And then we find at the end of this particular chapter what David says, that he is poor and needy, but the Lord thinks upon him. And how David begins to look forward and look backwards at the events of his life, seeing that God has called him and redeemed him as the king, and it continued to provide for him, we see a reality of the Christian life. We see a reality of the life of the believer. It's, it's real. And this is what I don't think we see a lot of in our day and age in the Christian church. There is much more phoniness that goes on in the life of the church. For instance, those that simply disregard the, the commandments, the worship, the honor of the Lord, and call themselves believers. If you are disregarding the things of God, you're not a believer. You're not a weakness. You're not struggling there. If you just simply disregard the things of the Lord, you're not a believer. You're not in Christ. You might be a member of the church, but you're not in Christ. You're not a new creation in Christ Jesus. There is no possible way for a believer to completely disregard the Lord. It is an impossibility because the Spirit of Christ is alive in their soul. And that Spirit of Christ is constantly, continually, day by day, molding and shaping that individual into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Even in sin, the Holy Spirit will not let you rest in sin. He will bring you to repentance. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the reality of the Christian life, is struggle. Now you come in and you act as if you don't have any struggle. That's phoniness. We all struggle. Struggle in your home. You struggle in your workplace. You struggle everywhere. There is a constant struggle. You struggle with yourself. That's the struggle of Christianity, of the Christian life. And that's the realness, the reality of Christianity. We see that in David's life. We see that he comes out and he confesses immediately that he was in a horrible pit. He was in the miry clay. How many today would actually confess that? Oh, no, no. We, we want to put on a facade so everybody can think better of me. That you can think of me as stronger than I really am. See, I want to give an image of strength. That's foolish. Because every one of us in here are weak. We are spiritually weak and poor, and physically, you're getting weaker every day, aren't you? Things that you used to be able to do that you can't do any longer. And that's the reality of living in a fallen world as a result of man's rebellion against the Creator of the universe. These are the consequences. But let's be real about our Christian life. Let's be real about the marriage relationship and how there's struggle when you bring two sinful people together. I remember seeing a Western movie one time and the man says, you know, I was married once and me and my wife, we never had a cross word. And I looked at Maria and I said, that's a fat lie right there. There ain't no way that that man could be married to a woman and not have a cross word. We're sinful people. You know what I'm talking about. That's why you're laughing. You know that it's true. That's the reality. And I don't care how long you've been married. You may have been married 50, 60 years, and you have this, this, this disgruntledness at times. You have times of disagreement where the wife says this and the husband says, well, that, that's dumb. 
And she takes it and says, don't call me dumb. Well, I didn't call you dumb. I said what you... And there the fight starts, right? Misunderstanding. Not being on the same page. That's the struggle and the reality of life. And it goes on within all of our hearts. And we are to be a people that confesses that to the Lord. Which I don't find a lot of that in our day and age. Because we're too concerned about what everybody else thinks about us. We are concerned about our reputation rather than our character. Love, you've got to get beyond that. The reputation is what other people think about you. The character is who you truly are. I, I, yesterday in men's Bible study, I mentioned this. That your reputation is what people think of you. But your character is who you are when nobody else is around. Better this way that if you were on a vacation, a business trip, and you were at a hotel by yourself with nobody else around you who knew you, that's your character. That's truly who you are. We ought to be about the business of character building so that we're built more and more like Christ. That's the Christian desire. The Christian goal is to be more and more like Christ. Forget about what people think about you. Because you'll always be misunderstood. It doesn't matter what you do or where you go. You'll be misunderstood. And people will say things about you that just aren't true. Who cares? Get over it. That's the results and the consequences of the fallen world. But that is the reality of Christian living. It's suffering, isn't it? David was in a horrible pit. It doesn't say what the pit was. He doesn't say what the miry clay was. It may have been Saul chasing him. It may have been Absalom. When Absalom wanted to overthrow David and take over as the king in Jerusalem. It may have been David's own sin. It may have been a sickness that he was enduring. Whatever the case... David was in a pit and his only hope was that God would deliver him, rescue him from the danger that he was in. Now, this is not David crying out that the Lord would save him from his sin and misery. In other words, salvation-wise. This is spoken here of deliverance from impending danger. David is a believer and he's crying out to the Lord for help. The unbeliever doesn't do that. Oh, there is a facade. There is a phoniness of 9-11 and a disaster within the country. And people run and flock to the churches and cry out, Oh God, we need you now. That's all hypocrisy. Because as soon as the business and the economy gets back to, to things are going well and the money is coming in, the bank account is filling up, I don't need God now. That's the world in which we live. But the reality is the believer knows that I need thee every hour. Every hour I need thee. And that's the refrain. That's the song of the redeemed. So David, looking at his life and recognizing as he looks forward and looks backwards and side to side, he realizes that it's God who redeems him from the pit, from the horrible clay. And he has redeemed him and he will redeem him. And beloved, that's what we need to understand. That man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And man who is a few of days is full of troubles. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. Paul said, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Trials and tribulation. Romans 5, the Apostle Paul says, tribulation produces endurance in the life of the redeemed. Problems. Read the book of Acts and you'll find the problems in the life of the church. Dissension, struggles. Paul says in in, uh, Acts chapter 20 that even from among your own ranks will rise up men who will pervert the truth to lead others astray. Be watchful, be mindful. Struggles. It's constant. Struggles in life. I, I didn't have the struggles I have now when I was an unbeliever. But now the principle of grace, you're raised up to newness of life. There is a new standard and ethic in your life. And you want to obey the Word of God. You want to be pleasing to the Lord. And you find yourself falling short every single day. In thought, word, or deed. And you give something to somebody and you say, Oh, I've done a good thing. You know what? I need to tell others what a good thing that I've done. And there you have your reward. And you walk away and a day or two later, then you start thinking to yourself, why, did I, why didn't I just shut up? Or you see something or somebody over here and then you assume something and then you start with the mouth jibber-jabbering about something you don't know anything about. And then somebody corrects you on it. And you feel like an idiot. And you say, why did I open my big mouth? And there's a struggle with sin, isn't it? And there is treating people the way that you would not want to be treated, but you treat them that way and you expect them to be good and kind to you. But you're not good and kind to them. You don't do unto others as others have done unto you, as you would have them do unto you. You do what they do. They're not nice. They're nasty. They don't say good morning. I'm going to do the same thing. And you know it's wrong. And the Holy Spirit begins convicting you. And you cry out to God. And that seems to be the perpetual cycle within this life. We're partially sanctified. So that's the struggle. That's the difficulty. Waiting on God. Did you notice what David said? He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And what it means is that I waited and I waited and I waited. And I kept waiting. And it seemed as if the Lord wasn't hearing my prayer. He wasn't bringing it to pass. And I kept waiting. And that's the struggle of the Christian life, isn't it? It's waiting upon the Lord. You see, we... We have so many misunderstandings and it comes out in the way that we we speak. People say such things as, if I were God. Now, you realize the stupidity of that thought. That if I was God, that we're questioning God's wisdom, we're questioning His power, We're questioning the depth of his knowledge. I mean, be done with those phrases, beloved. Be done with questioning the ways of the Lord. It's not for us to question the ways of the Lord. It's for us to submit to the ways of the Lord. And this is what the Word of God does. The Word of God prepares us to deal in a godly way with the providence that God brings upon us every day of our life. It teaches us how to respond in a godly way to the providential dealings with God. Whatever He brings from day to day. The Scripture informs me. Now, I don't always do that well. There's the desire, but even the desire is not perfect. 
Sin is such a vicious thing. It contends with everything that we do and everything that we think. That's why Paul struggled in Romans 7. That I want to do these things that are pleasing to the Lord. And I find this principle of sin right there with me. The one who desires to do good. That's not the unbeliever. That's the believer's struggle. And so this is what you find with the Christian life. Many pitfalls. Much miry clay that we step in. And the Lord is only our hope. Our text says, beginning in verse 10, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. Now, as I said last Lord's Day, with regards to this psalm, there is portions of this psalm that speak directly about the person of Christ. This portion, has it's it's a mixture. So this, notice it says, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. Clearly that was the life of Christ. Clearly this could only be spoken of in the fullest sense about the person of Jesus Christ. He went around doing righteousness, speaking the gospel, praising His Father, declaring the good news of salvation. Christ did not hide that. You and I have hidden it. Have we not? Have you not known the right thing to do and you didn't do it? Then you were grieved afterwards? You were afraid what somebody might say if you spoke up? That's hiding God's righteousness, God's glory within your own heart. This is what David is saying. I haven't done that. It speaks most fully to Jesus Christ. But there is also a sense in David, it was writing out of his own conviction in what is going on in his own life. And he's prophesying as well about the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the hiding... Right? It's putting something away. Uh, you parents, especially the ones with young kids, you hide things at times from your children. Why? So they can't find them, so they can't consume them, because you know if they found them, it would be gone in a, in a day. So you hide, you keep something away from them. Uh, David is saying, I haven't done that with your righteousness. I have spoken it. I have spoken the truth. And this is the life of the Christian. We are to speak, beloved. We are to speak the righteous works of God. As David says here. He declared God's faithfulness in your salvation. You parents, begin with your children declaring God's faithfulness and salvation. Not just a temporal deliverance from something, but eternal salvation, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation. Begin with your family unit. Begin talking to your children about the faithfulness of God and the salvation which He has granted in His Son, Jesus Christ. Start there. Now, how do you talk about the faithfulness of God? That God is faithful means that He never goes back on His word. He never fails to accomplish all that He has declared. A faithful man who can find. A faithful person who does not lie. Who can find. God does not lie. God never fails. God keeps His promises. He always follows through. So start with the Old Testament. Start with God delivering His people. Read through the book of Exodus and show them again and again the faithfulness of God. And declare it, beloved. That God is always faithful. David said, I have been young, I have been old, and I have never seen the righteous 
begging for bread. Why is that? Because God supplies their needs. That he is the good shepherd, he is the one who cares for the sheep of his pasture. He provides all of our needs. What are you in need of? What are you in need of? What do you stand in need of that God has not provided in his son? You have full forgiveness. You have the wisdom of God's word. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit who leads you to the Lord Jesus Christ to find your comfort in him. You have a rock and a redeemer whose name is Jesus. He has taken all of your sins. You are in Jesus Christ. You can never be cast out of the family of God. You are forever forgiven because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will always provide for your needs. You have the assurance that the day that you die to be absent from this body, this life, this world, is to be present immediately with the Lord. You have all that is necessary for life and godliness in our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you lack, beloved? Christ is the good shepherd who provides for his sheep. Tell your children... Tell your family, tell your co-workers, tell them about the faithfulness of God and about the wonder of His salvation. How He delivers His people, but He also redeems the unbeliever. How He washes with the blood of Jesus Christ. Tell them about Jesus. David says, I have not concealed your loving kindness or your truth from the great assembly. Certainly Jesus did not do that. The loving kindness of God. God's loving kindness, the Hebrew term hesed, it's just the, the bowels of compassion is what it speaks of. It's a depth of mercy and love that God has for his people that I think can only be partially seen in this life in an analogy. And the analogy would be like a woman with a newborn infant and the compassion to hold and to care for and to provide for that baby. And that's partially seen. All analogies break down when it speaks about God. But this is His loving compassion towards His people. That He will always provide for our needs. He will always be with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So we cast our cares upon Him. What a wonder and a joy that God hears our prayers. What a wonder that when I sin and I'm guilty, I can come to Him and cast that upon Him and He washes and cleanses me of my guilt. This is the loving kindness of God. He is faithful. And when the the Ten Commandments, when we speak about to the third and fourth generation of those who love me and to thousands of those that keep my commandments, that's thousands of generations. Thousands of generations. A generation in Scripture is 40 years. Thousands of years of people of God's loving kindness and faithfulness. When the Lord speaks these things, beloved, He's faithful to bring it to pass. The Lord will do it. Where is your, where is your meter, as it were, of God's loving kindness? When you're going through the difficulties of life... What do you think about God's loving kindness and His compassion? And this is only the promise to the believer, not the unbeliever. I saw a story that was uh, yesterday uh, during a football game. It was uh, a kid that was going to go play football. And um, he got cancer. I mean, it's like 17 years old. 
is six foot five, you know, 270 pounds. He's huge. And he gets a full scholarship to go to Michigan. And it started with uh, problems. He was having some difficulties. And next thing you know, they found that the cancer started spreading. They did surgery, spread more and more. And, and here he is, you know, and you're, he's looking at life. And he's an unbeliever. And he's looking at life in this way. This is unfair. It's not right. You know, I have my whole life ahead of me. He ended up having one of his legs amputated because of the cancer. And we go through things as that nature as believers as well. And at that time and in those, those situations that we go through, do you question God's loving kindness? Do you question His faithfulness? When a loved one dies, do you question God's loving kindness towards you? Beloved, it's, it's, it's already for all of us. We're already marked out to die. It's appointed for all of us to die once. And then comes the judgment. And none of us is promised to live a certain amount of life. And so what I'm saying, just in that account of that young man who had a promising career, it looked like for all intents and purposes, he was probably going to be NFL material. And it didn't happen. And then people began to be um, bitter against God. And that can happen in the Christian life as well. That you can get bitter that things didn't turn out the way that you wanted them to turn out. And isn't that all of us? You'd be lying right now, beloved, if you said you didn't struggle with that from time to time. That you want certain things in your life to be a certain way. And when they don't happen, you get angry about it. Who are you angry with? Oh, we mask it. Well, I'm not angry with the Lord. Sure you are. He is the one ruling all things for His glory and the good of His church. And we are so minute in our understanding. And we want to question the omniscient God. Just say it for what it is. That you're angry with the Lord and confess it to Him. Because it's not a good place to be to be angry with God because you couldn't get your way. We are, in a lot of senses, just like our children, aren't we? Temper tantrums when we can't get our way. God's loving kindness never ceases. Go back, beloved, and read Lamentations 3. It's new every morning, His mercies. He provides for us. The loving kindness of the Lord never ceases. That's the easiest way to say it. It doesn't stop. It never ceases. Continually, day by day, moment by moment, His loving kindness flows to us. Whether you realize it or understand it or not, it is coming at you every single day. Why? Because you're in Christ. That's God's loving kindness. David prays, Do not hold your tender mercies from me. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Do you know what you deserve? Do you know what I deserve? Jonathan Edwards once wrote that every sin deserves a hell all of its own. Every sin. How many sins do you think you've sinned? As a believer. Ever thought about the sins that you've committed as a believer? And that every one of those sins that you've committed deserves a hell all of its own? Eternity. And yet God doesn't give us that. He doesn't give us what our sins deserve. 
He gives us grace. He gives us Christ. He gives us salvation. He gives us loving kindness. He provides for us in this way. What a wonder. God does not withhold His tender mercies from His people. And David is crying out. And in a sense, David is reminding, as it were, reminding the Lord, don't withhold it from me. Even though I sin and I fall short, don't withhold this. Keep it coming, Lord. I need your mercy. This is David's cry of a need for mercy every moment. I need mercy. Don't ever ask the Lord to give you what you deserve. Because we all deserve damnation. No matter how bad your life on this earth may have been in your eyes. Things that you didn't get. Things that you wanted. Things didn't work out this way. God is always merciful to His people in every situation. His loving kindnesses and His truth continually preserve me. Let it. The loving kindness and the truth. Continually. Continually preserving me. Preserving is the Hebrew term that means guard. What David is saying is that guard me with your truth. You see, beloved, the truth sets you free. The truth equips you to not give in to the lies. The the truth equips you to not be a person who is deceived by the unbelieving world. You can discern. You know what's right and what's wrong. You know the truth and the truth sets you free. And the one who is free is free indeed. We're free in Jesus Christ. And it guards us, doesn't it? It guards your way. It guards your walk. It's the Word that's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It guards us in the way that we live our lives, of knowing and believing the truth. We're not those that are given to quicksand of the world. We set our feet upon the rock, Christ Jesus. And so His mercy, His loving kindness, continually guard us. Let me ask you this. Are you one who frequents God's Word? Because if you don't frequent the Word of God, you're not going to know the truth. And if you don't frequent the Word of God and knowing the truth, then you are going to be deceived by lies. And you will be given to one who is tossed to and fro by every wave and wind of doctrine that comes through the world. And the world is full of garbage. And it comes continually, incessantly. There is always something that the world brings up. I mean, five years ago, whoever thought of critical race theory? Whoever thought of wokeness? Whoever thought of all the nonsense that the world comes up with and then everybody gets on this bandwagon of running after this? And it's all fake and facade. It just cracks me up. The smoking guns and mirrors that these people put up and how they cheat and lie and steal and they make all kinds of money from these donations and they pocket it all. What did you do with the millions of dollars that were donated to this particular movement? I bought mansions for myself. It's the lies of the world. And you're not given to that nonsense. It's like an emotional pull. Right? Show all these dogs and cats and animals and, and people on the TV and they're all sick and suffering. And Send money, send money. Pulling at your emotions. How do you know where any of that stuff goes, beloved? And if you give to that, you can't give to other things. So you've got to be discerning in where you place your money, don't you? 
in donating and giving and providing. You've got to be discerning. This is what we're called to. That's what the truth does. We're sanctified by the truth. We are made more and more like Jesus by the truth. That's how the Spirit works. Forming, molding, shaping, fashioning us after the image of Christ. What's your life like with regards to the Word of God? Do you have a a time set aside that you read Scripture? Now, we, we all make time for things that are important. Every one of us. There is nobody in here that can say that I don't make time for things that are important. You make time for the things that are important. And you set aside other things that you deem less important. And I want to know, in your life, where does the importance of the Word of God rank? Does it take a back seat to everything else in your life? Is it always pushed back further and further? So, you know what? I don't even recognize it anymore. Because I've got all this other stuff going on. We've got to be people of the Word. The loving kindness of God is communicated to us through the Word. How do I know that even the most horrendous thing that comes upon me in this life is working together for my salvation? God said so. The Word of God. That's it. Period. It's not by feelings. not by emotions. It's simply by the fact of truth. God said it. And that settles it forever. And so being a person of the Word, you are preserved continually by the truth. As the lies continually assault us, the truth sets us free. We stand on the truth. We believe the truth. We turn away from the lies. David says, innumerable evils have surrounded me. And notice that in this verse here, 12, this can't be speaking about Jesus. Because he says, my iniquities have overtaken me. Christ had no iniquity. David is speaking about himself. He's speaking about the innumerable evils that have surrounded him all around. Whether it's a natural evil or whether it's a moral evil. The natural evil would refer to sicknesses in the world, uh, the, the wars and famines. Moral evil are personal sins committed against the law of God. So you have a natural evil, you have a moral evil. Uh, David says, they're surrounding me. To be surrounded would be like Jonah when he's in the belly of the fish and he's surrounded on all sides. Seaweed and salt water and all stomach gases, all kinds of things surrounding him on every side. The evils are all around him. Everywhere that he looks. That's the world in which we live, isn't it? There are places in the United States where you can't walk at night. You can't go out. Because you would be robbed and probably killed. There are places in Chicago that you don't want to be found even in the daylight. I remember early days in the 80s and being out in California and driving in the Watts area. And the Watts area, they had riots there. And you know, As a white boy, I wasn't real welcomed there. And it was dangerous during the the gang wars back in the 80s. It was was nasty. It was disastrous. Evils all around. I I, I do sometimes, I wonder about, I see video clips of of cops and saw one recently of some uh, New York uh, police officers and 
just casually like just leaning against their car and somebody was videoing them. And I, it's like no vigilance. And it's like open season for law enforcement, on law enforcement. And evil is all around them. And they're like oblivious of that. You know, your bulletproof vest is not going to protect your face. This is the Christian life. There are evils all around. Satan is wily. Satan is crafty. Satan wants to trip you up, beloved. He wants to bring you down. He wants to destroy the church. Satan will infiltrate in the church. He'll stir up problems in the church. It starts simply. Gossip. Slander. It starts to snowball further and further. Division within the church. Dividing up this on this side, that on the other side. Against one another. At one another's throats. Evil is all around. It's within, isn't it? So this is the difficulty of the Christian life. There's evil within our own hearts. Satan appeals to that evil. And David recognizes that. How many in our day recognize this? How many would even confess it? Yeah, there's rebellion still in my heart. There's a desire to love the Lord. I do love the Lord. And I know I don't love the Lord as I ought. Because I ought to love Him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet because of remaining sin within me, I don't love Him as I ought. I don't love you as I ought. And you don't love me as you ought. And you don't love one another as you ought. That's a matter for prayer, isn't it? It's a matter of prayer. Lord, help us to love one another well. Help us to take the back seat. Help us to be foot washers. To serve our brothers and sisters. To take the lowest place. To not look down our nose at other people like the Pharisee. But be like the tax collector. Beating upon our breast continually. God be merciful to me. The sinner. The one who knew he had violated all the commandments of God. Evil is all around us. Even within. And my iniquities have overtaken me. Ever felt like that? Your sin has just swamped you down, overwhelmed you. David is crying out for this. Lord, deliver me. If you don't deliver me, I'm toast. I'm nothing. I will dissolve. The Lord must deliver. You know, David in Psalm 32 speaks about his life after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he says that his life was miserable. Let me, let me read what he said. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent. Okay, so when David sinned with Bathsheba, it was one year later that Nathan the prophet came to him and confronted David, and David confessed his sin to the Lord. When he kept silent, when he did not confess to the Lord, this is what happened to him. My bones grew old through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God forgives, but when we hold it in, what happens? We were miserable, sick people who do not want to worship the Lord. David says that the iniquities have overtaken him. This may be the horrible pit. 
God had redeemed him and brought him out of that, and now he's experiencing it again. He's looking back to what God has done. Now he's looking forward. Deliver me again, O Lord. Save me again. They've overtaken me, so I'm not able to look up. Not able to look up. He's on his face, as it were. He can't even look up to heaven. He can't even, this is an image of praying. He struggles in his prayer life at this point. And he needs the Lord to bring him out of the horrible pit. Notice what he says there, more than the hairs of my head. I shave my head. I have hair too. How much hair do you have on your head? How many hair follicles are there? You can't even number them. And David is saying, my iniquities and how they have overtaken me and consumed me, they're more than the hairs on my head. He, he was sick at this point. He was really struggling. Beloved, are you struggling? Are you struggling with sin, with bitterness, with resentment, with hatred, with animosity? Are you struggling because you don't know God's plan and you're angry that things haven't turned out the way that you wanted and therefore you lash out at other people? Confess it to the Lord. It's the only remedy. It's the only prescription. Is to come to God and confess to Him. And He will forgive the iniquity of our heart. Even though that we're poor spiritually and needy spiritually continually. The Lord thinks upon us, beloved. That's an aspect of His loving kindness. He will not betray us. He will not turn His back upon us. We may experience the dark night of the soul, but we will never experience a life without God. The Lord dwells within us by His Spirit. And so we come to Him. David says, my heart fails me. Ever been in a position where your heart is faint? That you just feel like you're going to pass out? David is saying this as a result, a consequence of the innumerable sin in his life. And notice what he does. He comes to the Lord. He doesn't go to somebody else. He doesn't go to the shrink of the day. He comes to the Lord and he confesses and he cries out and the Lord delivers. That is the point. God and God alone can bring us out of the miry clay, out of the horrible pit. Beloved, are you in a pit? I've been in pits. I've been in the miry clay. And I'm not afraid to admit it. I've stuck my foot in miry clay. I've walked right in it. And so have you. And it's the Lord alone who delivers. And so David says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Help me. Help me now. Make haste, he says. Quickly, come now, Lord. Come and deliver me speedily. Beloved, there's a lesson to be learned, isn't there? There's a lesson to be learned for every believer who is in the muck and in the mire. There's a lesson to know that God is the deliverer and God alone. Man's help is useless. Man cannot deliver. Man cannot redeem. Man cannot save. Man cannot pacify. It is only the Lord. And we bring the word of the Lord for the comfort of the Lord's people. There's a lesson to learn in the providential hand of God. That God is growing us up spiritually. He's humbling us as we find ourselves in the miry clay and in the horrible pit. There's a purpose. There's a tool of sanctification even in those things. So, 
this portion, we can simply say this. God is faithful. He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. He is with you always, even to the end of the age. He will never depart from you. And all things are in His hand. He is ruling and controlling everything, beloved. And His mercy is new every morning. So even in the horrible pit in the miry clay, God's mercy is new every morning. He will deliver you. He must deliver you. Why? Because He is the faithful God, the covenant-keeping God, the merciful, long-suffering, compassionate God. The one who loves his people to thousands of generations of those who love him. He will deliver. Give it the time and learn the lesson that the Lord would have you to learn as you walk through the miry clay and the horrible pit. Give it the time, beloved, to rest and be patient. As David said, I waited and I waited and I waited, but the Lord delivered. And the Lord will deliver in his time. Be patient. But be active. Keep on praying. Keep on hoping. Keep on reading. Keep on fellowshipping. Keep on exercising the means of grace while you're going through the difficulties of life. God will redeem you. And He will redeem you, as it says, as on eagles' wings when the time allotted. Beloved, these are all tools to make us like Jesus. So that's what we pray. Lord, make me like Christ, even in the midst of the pit that I find myself in, as I wait for your deliverance. Amen. Shall we pray?